Mud Stories, Episode 49. Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I feel like if we can really see our walk with the Lord as an as a get to and not an ought to and a should do, we'll start to experience the best of who God is. You know, looking back, it was like God would not let me build my faith on my own striving. It was like the, the deck was cleared so I could see this massive crack in my foundation. And what that crack was, I was saved, but I didn't know that I was loved. And the Bible's very clear, you know, it, it's not that we loved him, it's that he loved us. And it's not how high we can jump, it's that he stooped down to make us great. Hi, my name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and you're listening to Mud Stories, a podcast dedicated to bringing you inspiration in your muddiest moments, hope to make it through your mud, and encouragement for you to know that you are not alone. Hey there, welcome back to the Mud Stories podcast. My name is Jackie Watkins, your host, and I am so glad you've joined me today. And if this is the first time you've been here to the Mud Stories podcast, I would like to extend a huge, big welcome to you. And if you were here with me, I would give you a big, huge hug. I love to hug people. So anyway, thank you so much for being here. I'm so excited to share with you. Today, I'm talking with Susie Larson. Now, Susie is a radio host with her own daily live talk show entitled Live the Promise with Susie Larson. She's a national speaker, and she has just authored her 10th book entitled Your Sacred Yes, Trading Life-Draining Obligation for Freedom, Passion, and Joy. Now, Susie resides in Minnesota with her husband, Kevin, and their pit bull, Memphis, and I tell you, she has been through some mud, and she willingly and transparently shares some of what she's faced with us today, including childhood abuse by bullies, high-risk pregnancies with months of bed rest, battling Lyme disease, financial crisis, and walking alongside her husband through a battle with cancer. And I know that there are times in our lives when it feels like our suffering is too great to bear, that our despair is too deep, and it feels oftentimes like we wonder, where is God in this mess? And Susie has a lot of encouragement for us in knowing and trusting that God is with us even when we feel like he's forgotten us, that our suffering can be training ground for what lies ahead in our lives, and she encourages us as we We learn how to hear God, how to rebuild after burnout, things like handling jealousy and comparison, and much more. And so I'm really excited that she's here. I hope this episode will be an encouragement to you. But before we get to my conversation with Susie, I have to tell you some really exciting news. I have a new tool to offer you, and I've created some podcast notes for this episode. Just some quotes that Susie mentions and some wisdom that she shares for us to remember. I included links at the bottom of the notes to allow you to connect with Susie as you desire, and also her favorite scripture from the episode. And so as you listen to this episode, if you would like to receive the podcast notes from episode 49, which is this episode, and it would be completely free, all you have to do is get out your cell phone and text to 33 
888-444-4444. And I want you to text the words episode 49. No spaces, just episode 49 and send that text. And then you'll receive a reply. And all you have to do is reply simply with your email address. That's it. No words, no message, nothing, just your email address. And then you'll receive a thank you text and it will be delivered immediately to your email. And I'm so super excited about this. So I hope you guys will try it out and see and check out my notes. If any of you have any suggestions on how to improve it or what you'd like included in the notes, uh, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at Jackie at JackieWatkins.com. If any of you are graphic designers or you want to help me make another super fantastic set of notes, I will totally be open for that. So I'm just super excited that you can just, because all of us have our phones wherever we are, and all you have to do is get your phone out and text me at 33444, and you text the words episode 49, and the notes will be sent to your email. Super easy, and I'm super excited. So I hope you take advantage of that. Without further delay, here is my conversation with Susie Larson. I'll catch you on the other side. Enjoy. Hi, Susie. Welcome to the Mud Stories podcast. It's so good to have you here. Well, Jackie, it's an honor to be with you today. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm thrilled. Well, as we begin, I'd love it if you'd just start off by sharing a little bit about yourself and your family, where you live and what you love to do. Wow, that's a great question. Well, um, we are empty nesters, my hubby and I, and uh, we have a pit bull, but no grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> We spoil our dog until we get those babies, but our three sons are grown and married. And uh, up until this last year, they all three lived in three different states, and I miss them desperately. Um, so, you know, behind the scenes, I prayed and said, Lord, if, if it would be your will, I want you to bring them back to Minnesota. And one by one, we got them back. So they're all here, and they're glad to be back. And uh, wow, it's a sweet, sweet time of life. And I probably my my two happy places are one is just my morning time with the Lord is just sacred for me and I mm-hmm. protect it with everything in me. And then my time on bike trails, uh, just probably because I was so sick in the early years of marriage as a young adult to be able to just get on my bike and haul as fast as I can for as far as I can is an act of worship to me. And it makes me very, very happy. I just rode 30 miles yesterday and was absolutely in heaven. So those are probably two of my things that fill me up significantly. Isn't that amazing how nature, we can really see God in nature. I just returned from vacation on a cruise to Alaska, and I was stunned. I'd never been to Alaska before. And just the beauty and awe that those mountains and the glaciers and the ocean and the bald eagles and just all of it, I was, it was definitely a worshipful experience to be among what God has created. And especially if you're a naturalist, I think Gary Thomas writes about the different pathways, just the way that we're all wired. You know, some are wired for solitude, which I am, but also he says a naturalist is a person who just, when they connect in nature, they, they it just is like a place where they can pray and, and just, not that you worship nature, of course. Of course. The creator who made the nature, I mean, that there's just people who are most in touch with God when they're out in nature. And I, even for me, riding on my trails as fast as I can, and all the different scents that I take in because of the different plants and the humidity mm-hmm. and the trees. And I marvel that God made them all and the birds are swirling around. And it's, that's exactly what it does for me too. It just, it makes me think uh, this creator uh, loves me and has personal interest in my life. And uh, he's a star breathing God. And yet he knows about every hair on my head. I just, I marvel. It just puts me in a position to remember that he's God and, and I'm his, you know, yeah, incredible, incredible. Well, 
Here at Mud Stories, we talk about our mud and how God meets us, you know, right in those deepest, darkest places and makes our life story really something he uses for good in his time. And yet often it's only in looking back that we can see those purposes and perspectives for our suffering. And I know not only have you been through some significant mud, but I also know God is using and has used your story for good. And so for anyone listening today who's in the middle of their own muddy place, would you take some moments, take us back and share with us some of the mud that you've faced and how now you can see looking back what God has done through it. Well, first of all, I love that you are courageous enough to share your own mud and then to build a ministry out of that place because it's like you went first and you're like, I'll tell my story first. And it invites others to feel safe to tell their story because those are the places where God does shine forth. And we like to medicate our weakness and our hardship or compensate or make excuses for or sweep it under the rug. But I think it's when you really humbly um, open your hands and say, this is who I am. This is where I've been. This is my story that God's glory really does shine forth because uh, when we boast in our weakness, the power of the risen Christ is made known in us, through us, and, and to a world in need. So That's right. I just I, I applaud you for that because it takes a lot of guts. And uh, I, Thank you. Yeah, and I, and I would, you know, always, it's always hard for me to share parts of my story. I sometimes wish I just didn't have to. I know. I can but relate I, to that. Yeah, but I know that, that God meets us there. So I just ask for a little grace as I unpack it. But Sure. Um, yeah, I was raised in a wonderful family of seven kids, um, great parents, um, raised in a Catholic home. And so I had a real awareness of God, but not a personal understanding of salvation through Jesus. But we had a great family unit. My my parents were present and, and wonderful and Love them. And, and there was a point in, in uh, my younger years when my mom also went to work to um, help put food on the table. And I had three big brothers and one older sister and two young sisters. And I love my brothers. And we had the typical bantering relationship where one moment we're wrestling and having fun and the next <laughs> chasing me with a BB gun. Yes, know? yes. <laughs> but there was a point where they, they got involved with some friends that weren't so good. And I remember uh, I was about nine years old or so coming home from school and uh, my mom wasn't home from work yet. And I just saw the brother's friend's bikes out in front of the uh, house. And I just wasn't in the mood to be chased with a BB gun. I just remember thinking, you know, I'm not in the mood for, you know, just a teasing or bantering or whatever. I was tired. And I went down to the laundry room to get a change of clothes. And I was just going to basically put my favorite sweatshirt on and go up to my bedroom and read or something until my mom got home. And I was digging in the dryer and um, the laundry door shut behind me. And I turned around and my brother wasn't there, but uh, several of his friends were. And just in a matter of moments, they had me pinned on the floor. Mm -hmm. And that's as much as I want to say about that, except that I, I walked out of that room so deeply confused about my identity, about who I was. And uh, our, our backyard backed up to a foster home with girls that came and went through that home. And my dad always said, you know, be kind to the loving and loving to these girls. They've had tough lives, you know, be kind to them, but don't do maybe everything you see them do. Mm -hmm. And uh, I knew that they, I knew that they, you know, had a, um, a history and I knew that they would veer towards things that my dad told me not to do. So when that thing happened to me, I was so confused because I, I really never blamed those girls. I always just thought you were born that way. And uh, so I was so confused about my own identity and my value. And I didn't tell anybody what had happened, but I had repeated dreams of being attacked and screaming and no sound coming out. And I, I was a sweet, 
people pleaser. I really, I just remember that just wanting everybody to like me and being kind. And I was pretty compliant and, um, that turned my world upside down. Well, then I, about a year later, I was coming home from school and I saw those wretched bikes out in front again. And I remember saying out loud just to myself, I don't even care if God made me this way. Those boys will never touch me again. And I Mm -hmm. was walking around the baseball diamond, killing time, kicking up the dirt, just sort of waiting to see for my mom to pull in. And a different group of boys were in a dugout in the baseball diamond. And all I heard was, get her. And they ran after me and knocked me down. And they laughed wildly as they beat me up really bad. And I'm thinking back now as an adult, I'm thinking they had to have been high on something because they had just a crazed look in their eyes. And they were laughing as they're punching and kicking and pulling my hair. And I mean, I was just this little girl and Mm. curled up in a ball screaming for help. And, you know, my family knew that happened because I went home with snarled hair and a fat lip and scratched up face and I was sobbing. And I, I just, my felt like my voice was stolen then it's like it you know i just i wasn't safe anywhere my my family loved me but i i i just became a vacuum of insecurity and became a christian in 8th grade through just an awesome encounter with god and at that point i understood salvation and i needed to be saved but i still didn't really understand that i was loved and I would dare say, I think a lot of Christians who've made that, they've trusted Christ for their salvation. They know they're saved, but they probably don't know they're loved either, that that Jesus is crazy in love with them. And, but I just became a real pursuer of God and I I ran hard after him. I loved him so much, but I think in my mind's eye, I thought I was in on a technicality. You know what I mean? Like he, he loved, he saved me because, because uh, he had to for some reason, but he would just sort of let me hang with the rest of the group as long as I didn't say anything stupid, you know. That's sort yeah. of what I felt like. And long story short, you know, I I met my wonderful husband as a young adult. We got married, and he was he was raised in a strong evangelical upbringing, and uh, I just had all these passionate ideas of raising Christian kids, having a solidly Christian marriage and family. And I just didn't know that the way up would be down for us. And our first seven years were marked by unrelenting crisis with high-risk pregnancies, many months on bed rest with high-risk pregnancies. And during my third pregnancy, I'd been in bed for six months and had a one and a three-year-old. We were going broke trying to stop labor. And it, it just, I, I, I so couldn't hard. believe this was all happening because it was like I came into marriage with this very passionate walk of faith, very um, regular devotional life. I mean, it's always been a part of my life since I, you know, just I loved my time with the Lord in the morning. So to open up the word and have it be dead on the page and to pray and feel like the heavens were silent over my life. Mm. It's just so heart wrenching for me. And For so many, I'd say, you know, yeah, it happens to so many. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And so here I am in bed rest and, you know, different friends would come and bring meals and take my kids. And I could see the weariness in their faces. They were getting tired. I mean, six months is a long time to be in need. And it was like, it was confronting all of my insecurities because I was a striving Christian. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, 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 you, you couldn't, I couldn't be in debt to you. I would rather you be in debt to me. Just in other words, I wouldn't, I can't stand the thought of inconveniencing people. And to see so many inconvenienced on my behalf, just confronted the worst parts of my insecurity and self-loathing and and my children my little kids my little boys it's like they'd be hanging under the door jam crying going I want to be with mommy and they're hauling them out the door because I was on bed rest if I'd sit up I'd contract you know yeah so that was that stage of life and I was probably six months along um and I hadn't contracted in a little bit and my doctor knew I was getting depressed and 
you know, he said, let's, let's get you up and get out and see the sun and, you know, take it easy, but yeah, let's test the waters. And so I met some girlfriends from college on a fall day in the upper Midwest here. And we walked along a path. We're very careful. We had lunch. It was just glorious by nighttime. It was too much. And so I was back in bed and bed rest. And within two weeks of that time, my face started to go numb and, and, uh, prints and needles shooting out my arm and just weird neurological things. And long story short, I unknowingly been bit by the deer tick my one day up and I was infected with Lyme disease, but I didn't know it. And I was pregnant and, um, a year later was diagnosed with Lyme disease. And so fear and anxiety have been huge markers in my life. And, Mm -hmm. and Lord really in looking back, you know, that's some of the mud. And and when I started to I battled in my early years as a mama with this disease. I literally crawled through life. And but when I started to get better, I thought the winds are finally going to change. We're not going to be on 10 prayer chains anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? Everybody was putting us on their prayer chain. Pray for the Larsons, you know. Right. Well, feeling and, so vulnerable. Oh, I just yeah. first. But as soon as I started to get better, I thought now I can start to pay people back and whatever. And then my hubby was diagnosed with cancer. And uh, so that was a, that was kind of a jarring situation, but still we were in a new place of faith when that happened. It was hard, but we weren't the same people after everything we'd walked through. And, uh, you know, looking back, it was like, God would not let me build my faith on my own striving. It was Mm -hmm. like the, the deck was cleared so I could see this massive crack in my foundation. And what that crack was, was I was saved, but I didn't know that I was loved. And that's so key. You know, it's not that he loved it. It's not that we loved him. It's that he loved us. And it's not how high we can jump. It's that he stooped down to make us great. And if we live in constant reaction to our fears and our insecurities and our ought to's and our should do's, we'll never bear the fruit that we are appointed to fruit uh, to a uh, bear. And we will never know the kind of life that God intended for us. If we're always living in reaction to our stuff and not in response to what he's already done for us. Yeah. I'd love for you to speak a little bit to those silent times where it feels like we're disconnected from God in our suffering, because I think that is a time of vulnerability where we're tempted to think, well, none of this is true. You know, God isn't really who he said he was. I can't trust what I what I'd believed in. If God was a loving God, he would be swooping in to rescue me. And yet I think of the verse in John nine, where it talks about, it wasn't that this man or his parents had sinned, but that the works of God would be displayed through him. And so sometimes God has to give suffering you know, suffering is promised to all of us. <laughs> mm-hmm. God's word promises suffering and his purposes are beyond sometimes what we can comprehend. And he has a marvelous plan to grow us and mature us and help us to really become more like him in the process as we surrender to him and trust him, even when we can't see him working because he has something glorious to display through our lives. So I wonder if you'd have any encouragement for anyone who's in that place today, maybe going through this litany like you just described that you went through. Uh, what encouragement could you give them in, in those times where they feel like heaven is silent? You know, William McDonald calls this uh, training time for reigning time. 
And we have to trust that God is a good God and his goodness must not, cannot be up for grabs. Because if we think his goodness is is maybe movable or you can make a case against it in a way, we will set ourselves up to be offended with God in such a way that we can't see what he's up to anymore. And, and you know, in my book, Your Beautiful Purpose, which came before Your Sacred Yes, I wrote about this, this dream that I'd read about in a devotional. And I thought it was such a great picture. It sure opened the uh, perspective for me in, in the those dry times. But this this woman was wondering those same questions you just mentioned, and she was going through her own hard time. And she had a dream of these three women kneeling before the father, and this angel was standing next to her, and, and the angel said, tell me what you see. And she watched, and Jesus went to the first girl, tilted up her chin, rustled her hair, held her face, spoke tenderly to her. And then the next one, he kind of touched her head, patted her, but didn't say much to her. And then the next one, he turned his face away and then he walked away. And the angel said, what did you see? And she said, well, the first one is surely, clearly in the center of God's will, doing everything right. And he's affirming that. And the second one is probably one foot in and one foot out. And and Jesus is affirming the things she's doing right to help her get on track again. And the third one isn't at all fulfilling her call. And she's missing it completely. And the angel said, well, you couldn't be more wrong. Uh, He said, the first one is a brand new baby believer and relies heavily on affirmation and response and needing to know instantly, needing to see immediate responses to her prayers and her choices. And he's nurturing her faith because it's precious to him. The second one is maturing and he is trying to train her to understand uh, how to, to believe and stand on God's word. And, uh, and the third one is destined for greatness. And he's weaning her off of needing responses and breakthroughs and answers when she wants them so that she can stand on the truth, even when it doesn't feel true. That's my paraphrase of that dream. But that was amazing to me. And when I started to really decide, you know what, God, your word is true, even when it doesn't feel true. You are good, even when it doesn't feel like you're being good. Something changed in me where I, you know, the Bible says the pure in heart will see God. And to the extent that I have a pure heart towards God to say, to believe the best about God, well, I see, get more glimpses of what he's up to. And that happened to me in the midst of that wretched season. Here I'm in my 20s. My face pulsated with numbness. Uh, my short-term memory was completely wiped out. I had the strength of a 90-year-old. I was just wiped out mm-hmm. by this disease. And I was an athletic person and an aerobics instructor. And I literally only took a shower a week because it took so much out of me. I, I had I went from being this passionate Christ follower to just hoping I could make it out of my 20s and or maybe live to see my kids grow up. Yeah. I was so devastated by that disease and and by what had happened. And I was lying on the floor uh, with my little boys with a numb face and a sick body and no energy. We had more medical debt than we could pay. We were praying we wouldn't file bankruptcy. We never did, but we were so inches away from losing our house. Um, While I had friends who were either building their second house or putting additions on their first house and taking trips and Mm -hmm. kids were wearing name brand clothes. So the contrast of my life and theirs was so stark that I truly just thought maybe there are just haves and have nots in the kingdom. And I didn't know what I had done to chase God away. I was still fairly new enough in my faith to not understand what he was up to. And in that place, a woman from my church called me and she said, I've been hearing the chatter about everything you're going through. And I, I want to know for myself why the Lord is allowing so much hardship in your life. And so she said, I brought your case before the Lord and said, what, what is going on with this family? And she said, Susie, listen to me. She said, the Lord gave me a vision of a platform that he's building with your pain. 
that you're going to speak from someday. So lean in and learn everything you can because you're going to have a story to tell on the other side. And Jackie, that wow. was kingdom moment where God opened the heavens, opened the skies mm-hmm. and shot down a truth into my soul yeah. that I knew was true. And so things actually got worse before they got better. But I had a knowing in my heart, this was not, this crisis would not have the last say. And so I started to feel very accountable with my pain. And I mm-hmm. dove in and asked hard questions. I dove into scripture and read it and held on to it, even though there's nothing about it that felt true to me. It was training ground, wasn't it? It was a training ground for me. And that's what I say to that person walking through that time. Stand on the truth, even if it doesn't feel true. Believe the Father loves you, that he has a next place of promise for you. And how you steward this time here will, I believe, determine how you fare there. And it matters what we do in those times where where it feels like the storms are raging against us, and they actually are. It matters what we tell ourselves about ourselves, about God, and our circumstances. It really does. Yeah. And uh, you will triumph on the other side. And God does have things for you to do yet. If you still have breath in your lungs, He's got stuff for you to do. Absolutely. And I think that's why it's so important to replace those thoughts with the truth of God's Word. You know, like you're describing, just getting together with God every day, Even if it's one verse, you know, busy young moms, sometimes they have a hard time, you know, finding an hour, but it doesn't have to be all or nothing. You know, even a verse a day to really meditate and memorize can really drive truth into our hearts in those hard times. That's exactly right. And if we just see ourselves as walking with God, I mean, my life verse is Psalm 116, 9, and it says, and so I walk in his presence as I live here on earth. And I think if we stop compartmentalizing our faith and say, the Father's always with me, I, you know, I talk with him all day long because he's with me and he cares and he delights in every detail of my life. And I, I do think there's something very powerful about carving out time, but there are seasons in life of crisis and hardship and little ones that if you become religious about it, it becomes this legalistic thing anyway. Correct. And it's yes. Life-giving, you become either proud or you despair. Either you're proud of your efforts or you despair over the lack of them. Right. That's not fruitful either, but no. to just consider it an invitation to be with God and be much with him and, uh, and and respond to it that way as an invitation, not an obligation. And I think it God will make a way, you know? Yeah, I think so too. Well, that word of encouragement that that woman gave you couldn't have been more true. And I know it took some years for God to bring that work for you to do. Could you share with us a little bit about your writing journey, how it began? And I know for those of us who are creatives, or really any of us in life, comparison is such a hard thing to handle. And I'd love it if you would, you know, as you share with us about how you got started writing and speaking, um, and even in your radio show, how you have maneuvered struggling with rejection or comparison when so many other people seem to do such amazing things. Yeah, that's the that's the constant battle I think. I think men do it as well. Um but not I think we do it more often. That's my guess and I think yeah. we feel the weight of the comparison. And we just I don't know if we're just since we're emotionally and relationally wired that it hits us so hard. Uh but for me, you know, I, I started out I I just had such a holy fear of God that I didn't want to go make something happen or run ahead and be, and I, the sickness for me was so real. And I, I mean, I still have residual effects of it and still have some physical limits from it yeah. that I have to be so, so careful.
careful. But all that to say, you know, different moms groups were asking me, come and share how you kept your faith. And But once I started to get better in speaking at retreats, people had all kinds of opinions for me about, if you think that uh, you're going to make it, you got to print up brochures and send them to every church. <laughs> and I just like, I was nauseous from it. I thought there's This no- was prior to the internet. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, No kidding. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember those days well. Yes. That does date me a tad, but. No, we're dated together, friend. (laughs) But truly, you know, people were talking about that there, you know, there's these formulas and ways to make a name for yourself. But every time I get back to my prayer time and say, Lord, I don't want to be hard hearted. I don't want to not be teachable. If there's something I need to be doing, I want to learn from people who've gone before me, but this doesn't feel right. And in every single situation like that, Lord just said, you take my lead. You take my lead. I know where you live. I'll get you where you need to go. And oftentimes it flew in the face of what everybody else was doing as far as, you know, if you want to make it, you got to do this or do that. But he really took me on a narrow path that was just uniquely my own. But over and over again, he affirmed, you know, that this is between us and I'll establish you in the pace that I want to. And he did that in, in pace with my sickness and my ages of my kids and all those things. Yeah. But I spoke for a while, a number of years, but I journaled. I was always a journaler. And so I did have a secret desire to write. And one day at one of the retreats I'd spoken at, a woman came up to me and just very firmly said, with all my heart, I believe you're supposed to start writing. And it something in me fluttered. Like I knew it was just God was using her. Mm. And then she turned around and walked away, never said another thing. And long story short, my first book was self-published because it was more memoir-ish, kind of my journey through Lyme disease and in those wilderness years. And uh, um, then we scraped up some pennies together and got me to a writer's conference. And I met up with an editor from Focus on the Family and became a freelance article writer for them. I did that for five or seven years. And uh, more training that, ground, <laughs> more training ground. Yes. After that, I was, you know, a few years later, I want to say I was at a writer's conference. No, and I was at a speaking conference and an editor from Harvest House was in the crowd. And she came up to me after and said, I'd love a book proposal on that topic. And, you know, again, the things, you know, I th- my our computer was about four feet deep. It was one of those big, clunky yes. desks, you know, yes. and slow. And I went to a library and thought, what's a book proposal? I mean, I, I smiled. I'm like, sure, I'll do that. You know, yeah, it was different yeah. days. There weren't the same resources that the writers have now. Oh, indeed. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. And so I learned to write a book proposal and crafted it and sent it in and and, and got a book contract. And so just truly, that's sort of how it evolved. But yeah. I'm also organic. That- it really was organic, and it was responding to the next thing from the Lord, the Lord. had me. Mm-hmm. But I was at a right. I was at a speaking conference, and I was a, a breakout speaker. And the keynote was there, and we were in the luncheon suite for the speakers, and we were in line. And this is when I was writing for Focus, but I wasn't. A, I didn't have my own published contract yet for a book. Yes, and she's standing next to me. And she goes, "So," she said, "You write for Focus, huh?" And I said, "Yep." And she said, "I save all of my." Um, words for my books. I don't write articles. I save all my information from <laughs> books. And she walked away. I'm like, Hiroki. And oh. I felt so small. And I got to tell you, I sat down and God just whispered to my heart. He said, Susie, as long as you are showing up at these conferences, there are going to be people who that I promoted and brought there and others who've gotten themselves there. And they're going to look the same from the outside mm-hmm. looking in, but the difference will be the fruit. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you can trust me, if you want to bear fruit that lasts, just keep abiding in the vine and do what I tell you to do. And and so that's really what I've done. And there have been temptations to compare because women are funky that way. I mean, just women are funny, you know. 
And there's just times where because I have my limits and I see other speakers just seem like they fly through life and have big teams to help them. I have felt a little jealous and I Mm -hmm. bring that before God. And he's like, your story is your story. Can you trust me? And, you know, in scripture, scripture talks about jealousy being such a gateway sin to every other evil that I don't treat that lightly. I don't wave that away as a girl thing. Things, you know, we girls just get jealous. I refuse to mm-hmm. give any room in my life for that because I want all of what God has for me and it doesn't include that. And so when I, now when I feel the temptation at all, which is rare now, but I pray for that woman. I just ask you, Lord, protect her. Have her back. I don't know what it costs her to carry that mantle, but would you protect her from jealous women and uh, help me to steward what you've given me to do as well? And that's sort of how I navigate it. I love now. that. I love that. Like like being self-aware of our shortcomings becomes a trigger towards action, whether it be praying for that person or actually reaching out and encouraging or championing their message, you know, being more of a co-op than a competition really for Christ. And, you know, I think it can be true, you know, as moms or friends at a school, as dads are working in an office or as if we're writers or speakers, it is universal in its application. So love that. As you talked about just doing the next thing, what God would ask you to do. You know, you have just recently released your latest book entitled Your Sacred Yes. <laughs> I'd love to know, first of all, if you could share with us what a sacred yes is, and then some tips for us to tune in and really hear God's voice. Cause you've been talking about how, you know, if spending time with God and with his word and really hearing what he has for you to do and doing that. But sometimes it gets really confusing how to know if God's communicating with us because most of us don't hear him speak audibly to us. So if you could give us some wisdom and encouragement on how to hear God so that we can say yes. Well, that's a really good question. And this book is really probably 15 to 17 years of um, of the fruit of my hubby and I rebuilding our lives after a significant burnout. Um, and we, you know, we were doing lots of good things and churchy things, but we were on the road to absolutely hitting the wall. And I, physically it was killing me emotionally it was killing me and my hubby has got a stronger will even than I do and an ability so he <laughs> would drive himself into the ground before he'd admit that he's driven into the ground but it, it was hard on our marriage and everything yeah. and in the middle of that place um, because once I got my life back and once Kev recovered from cancer we just wanted to dig in and help at church in any way that we could so we had the best of right. intentions good motivation yeah indeed yeah and uh, and I, I just have to say one of the things that we'd learn and I people may differ with me on this, but I don't believe the need always dictates the call. Just because there's a need in front of you doesn't mean you're the person to meet it. Because oftentimes the reason 20% of the people are doing 80% of the work at church is because they're the first responders. And I think that there are in that 80% people who would respond if we weren't so quick to jump in anyway. Hmm. But um, in the midst of that time, uh, a woman, very distinguished woman from our church who I was just getting to know, invited me to breakfast. And she said, uh, Susie, I see the weariness in your eyes. I see the fatigue in your husband's face. And she says, I know you are good people, godly people, but you are running too hard. And she said, we were once leaders in our church like you are. We were once bearing great fruit like you are. We were once very respected like you are. But she said, we were doing more than God asked us to do. We were running too hard. And in one moment of unrealized vulnerability, my husband fell morally in a very public way. 
And she said, we are still sorting through the wreckage of that crash and trying to put together our lives in the ashes of this pain. And I'm begging you, pull back and shore up your life, put some boundaries around your life and your marriage and your health uh, for the ministry's sake, for your marriage's sake, for your health's sake. And it put the fear of God in me, Jackie. And I want to tell you, mm-hmm. years later, I did a show on a spiritual vulnerability, and I marveled at how many godly people um, called who said, I was busy serving in church. I didn't realize that wearing myself down was also making me vulnerable. And in one unrealized moment, I had an affair or one unrealized moment, had too much to drink and I got right. an accident. One woman called in and she remained anonymous. And she said, I thought given the current state of my marriage, that obedience to God, the burden of my obedience to God would have been heavier than the consequence of my sin. And she goes, now with what I'm dealing with, she said, I couldn't have been more wrong. I would give Mm. anything to go back. But over and over again, these people were saying, I got myself too busy. And so that's a core part of my message. And busy on good things. And good things. Yeah, We understand that our busyness not only makes us tired, it makes us vulnerable. So for me, I, I broke up this book into three sections, the sloppy yes, the shackled yes, and the sacred yes. And the sloppy yes is when you just run in this rat race culture and it's wearing you out and you're responding to the next thing and, you, and you're and you losing your joy and your perspective. And you feel like since I've been able to do it up to this point, there, there's, no re- there's no reason I can't continue on this route, but it's not sustainable and it makes you vulnerable and it keeps you from the best of what God has. The second shack, the shackled yes, is really when our yeses and nos are driven by um, everybody else's opinions of us. You know what I mean? It's a fear mm. of pent where I don't want you to be mad or I want you to think well of me or I want to impress this person. The pleasers. We, yes. Yes. And when we are giving our yes away to manage um, our image, to make people think well of us, we're wasting those yeses because Jesus already paid for our image. He already paid for our identity. Yes. He paid a high price. And so to throw it away in that regard is not going to act into eternity. It's going to burn up. It's wasted effort Mm -hmm. because that's something Jesus already paid for. And so the sacred yes is living for an audience of one. It's saying, you know what, I'm going to from now on, let there be a much wider gap between how man's opinion of me impacts me and God's opinion impacts me. So I'm going to redeem my yeses. I'm going to redeem the time so that it does echo into eternity. Yeah, I love that. And yet hearing God is so confusing sometimes. Can you speak to that? So we can say yes. So we can know, you know, is it this thing or that thing? So many times we want God to just like light speed us the answer. And yet where would our faith be in that? Right. So the process of hearing him and obeying is a process of cultivating our maturity and our faith. But, um, you know, I think there's some directives in scripture that are very clear. It's God's will for us to be saved. It's his will for us to be kind. It's his will for us to give thanks. You know, there are things that his word's very clear about what we should be doing. And then and then a lot of times, don't you think beyond that, it's what resonates in your in your heart as the Holy Spirit dwells within us and you get those nudges and and impressions on and, and then you just walk through open doors. I'd love for you to speak to that a bit. Well, Jesus says, my sheep know me, they know my voice. In other words, they know what I sound like. And I often tell some of the young women I'm mentoring, wisdom's path is always peace. And so when you Mm. walk the Lord and you read his word and you get to know his word, so when you hear his voice, it always 
It always corresponds with scripture, but you get to know his voice. You respond to the nudge of the spirit within you today. He'll get you where you need to go tomorrow. And the thing is, we make such rules around what this is supposed to look like. If God's speaking to us about discipline, we look around and notice how undisciplined everybody else is. But the thing is, we're all in different chapters and seasons of our lives. So for you, obedience might be to pull back and rest for a season. And for me, obedience might be to run hard right. for a season. And we've got to give each other... Um, permission to be works in progress and to be in different chapters. Because if he has you resting now, it's because what you have in that next chapter is going to require you to be, you know, on task and on target and, and filled up again. And I love that about him. Yeah. And so first of all, we've got to resist the sin of comparison and make rules around what it is we're hearing or what we see other people doing. We've got to cultivate that voice for ourselves and the abiding life for ourselves. And, and that's how we know. We, we mm -hmm. respond to the nudge. We do with the thing that the Lord is asking us to do. And we don't rely on our own understanding. We don't reason our way out of, well, I don't want to look bad or there's nobody else, or I don't want them to be mad at me. Mm -hmm. Those are all motivations that are bound by self-preservation. So I do feel like to really give him your sacred yes, you have to be, you have to grow content to be misunderstood by people sometimes. They're just not always going to get it, but that's okay. They don't need to. I mean, the very people that would critique why I have certain boundaries about why I don't do things in the morning, I won't commit to morning things. That's my a time with God. God, my appointment with God, those are the very people who will come back later and go, you have such a spiritual momentum in your life. How'd you do it? And I'm like, by saying no to things, <laughs> invitations right. to be part of things in the morning, because that's my time. And and I'm, I've really gotten a, a little bit of a thicker skin in that regard, because I'm the one who has to live with my decisions. Yeah. Well, and I love how you champion the message that you reserve the right for God to divinely interrupt your day. Yeah. And just to see those little moments where he's ready to do that. You know, when I was in line registering for the cruise, I was listening to a couple talk in Spanish behind me and I heard them saying that it was hot in there. And so I instinctively, I speak a little bit of Spanish. And so I instinctively was nodding my head and then she saw me and she realized that I was understanding. So then I had been feeling a nudge to talk to them, but I was embarrassed and I kept arguing with the Lord. Like I don't really speak Spanish well enough to have a conversation with her. I only talk to patients at the hospital when they're having their babies. Like I had all these reasons why I wasn't needing to talk to them. And so that was the open door. And when I did, I ended up through the 12 days of the cruise, seeing her and her husband numerous times. They were retired. He had been an attorney in Mexico and she was a uh, soon to be grandma for the second time. And they were traveling because in October, their new grandbaby was coming. And, and we ended up um, touring a castle in Victoria, British Columbia together. And I helped interpret all the little signs because they didn't have an audio turn span. And, you know, I don't know what will come of it. We exchanged email addresses and I don't even know if she's a believer, but I just believe those little nudges, you know, just to trust and say yes to God in those little moments, even if we can't see what the benefit's going to be, his purposes can be so divine beyond what we can see. Don't you think? Oh, so much. And in the Bible says his ways are higher. And I truly think if we understood Every act of obedience, every act prompted by our faith has a, has a ripple effect that's far more significant than we know. We wouldn't dismiss or underestimate the power of our obedience. Yeah. And our obedience really, I believe, uh, it just enables us to hear him clearer the next time. It's like we acquire. I think you're right. A capacity yeah. to hear his voice. And there, you know, I, I think, you know, people 
will say to me, you walk in such a power, like you have a sense of, of God's power in your voice when you speak and whatever. What do you attribute that to? And I I, I would say obedience. You know, I, I think first and foremost, cultivating a lifestyle of just walking with him. But there's something about the power of our obedience, especially when it crosses our will. When he's asking us to do something, we'd rather not. There's something, uh, you know, that he's entrusting something to us. And when we obey him, I just think we walk in a new measure with him that I don't I don't know how to put a word to it other mm-hmm. than just sort of a, an anointing in our lives. And so I just don't underestimate the power of obedience, even if you don't totally get it. And I think when we get to heaven, one of the greatest things next to being with Jesus ourselves, you know, is the stories of how he's like, did you see when I asked you to do that? Look how this <laughs> you've got to be part of a bigger story. I don't want to miss anything that he has for me, you know? Yeah, I do know. And I'm with you. My heart is with you in that. Well, speaking of your your book, I wanted to just mention before we go at the end, one of the things that I loved so much is how you did this challenge with our physical and our spiritual and you kind of paralleled them. Can you just share a few of those things? Because I thought they were so practical and empowering, um, you know, with the drinking water and reading the word and that whole exchange that you um, lay out for us. Yes. Well, you know, I was in the fitness industry for about 15 years off and on in between having kids and getting sick and all that. And I, I, I love the science of the human body because it's so, for one, displays God's amazing handiwork. You know that as being yes. in that field. There's so many laws, spiritual laws that you see at work in our physical bodies that can apply to our spiritual lives. And and so I did a faith and fitness challenge through my show, radio show, a couple of years ago, and about 400 people signed up. And I each week sent them an email on a physical and spiritual discipline. And I said, you're going to be surprised at how easy these disciplines are to do but they're just as easy not to. And you may even roll your eyes because in each each week, you know, you implement that discipline and you hang on to the one from the week before. But they, they are things that create a momentum in our lives. And then last year we did it, we overlapped it with Lent, so 40 days. Oh. And we had 4,000 people sign up because they were like, I want to engage on, on a physical and spiritual level because my body is the temple. Yes. So as you said, you know, week one was up your intake of water and increase your intake of the word, the water of the word. And I explain the benefits of drinking water. And then, of course, the benefits of being people of scripture. One of the weeks was um, your posture. Pull your shoulders back, tighten your abs and stand up straighter because we slouch more often than we know. And that's actually better for our frame, but it actually takes a number of pounds off of our Right. Frame. It's so simple. And yet we forget. We just kind of walk around totally. kind of slumped. Yeah. Yeah. easy not to do. And it does change things. Over time, you're engaging certain muscles to have an upright posture. Yes. But then the posture before the Lord, practice bowing before him. Get on your knees and open your hands and, and humble yourself under his mighty mm-hmm. hand. And in due time, he'll lift you up. So different, just different disciplines like that. So there's a, a six-week faith and fitness challenge in the back of the book. And then there's an accompanying DVD that goes with the book for people who want to take the study to a deeper level. Yes. And uh, um I, at the end of each session, I kind of explain a little bit about that discipline. For It's like a bonus section if you want to engage in that. And and one more thing, Jackie, just want to tell you for those interested, we're doing a, a first ever online free online Bible study for your sacred yes starting Monday, July 13th. And it's, you can sign up free on my website and you'll get an email Monday, Wednesday and Friday with an embedded video that has a panel of women discussing the content and there's memes to share and just and 
things like that. So oh, sounds if great. People are interested. Yeah, they're that's there as well. Oh, I'll definitely link to that, and and then they can go check that out. Um, and that'll be so exciting. I think it's one thing to just read alone or watch alone, but if you really participate in community, I think there's a momentum that's gained from that of you know just encouragement and not feeling so alone. I think we could all use that. Yeah. Yes, I totally agree. We're just, we're better in community. We're better together for sure. Well, where can people find you online? SusieLarson.com is my website, and I, I write uh, morning and evening blessings for people. And like for you, you were mentioning, people who just don't feel like they have the time and it's overwhelming to study Scripture. These blessings are, are biblical blessings are on my Facebook page, and, and you know, 100,000 people view them every morning and every night, and, and then they share them. And that's just a, a nugget of just encouragement every morning and every night. And those are in a book as well. But they want to connect on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash Deeper Life in Christ. And okay. on Twitter, my handle's at Susie Larson. So those are a few ways they can connect. Awesome. And tell everybody about the daily radio show that you do. You, I have to say, Susie, you really inspire me as, an, as a person who's trying to learn to become a better interviewer. I listen to your show here and there, and I'm just so thankful for the skills that God has grown in you and cultivated in you as you interview such amazing people. I mean, tell everybody about your radio show. Oh, thank you so much for that, Jackie. I appreciate that because we're our own worst critics. And I hear myself and I cringe going, oh, no, but it's on my my show is Live the Promise. And it's uh, live every day, Monday through Friday for two hours, three to five o'clock Central Standard Time, and then a recorded show on Saturdays. And we air in the upper Midwest um, in about six markets, five states. But we have others, uh, other other. Uh, markets picking up Live the Promise. So there's one in Florida, New Smyrna Beach, Florida, and Peoria, Illinois. Just today, my second hour will be picked up by them. And a station in Hawaii is looking at picking it up. So that's kind of that's kind of neat. That's but, exciting. Yeah. And Live the Promise, it's really a deeper life show. It's really taking things to a deeper level. Yes. So we have brand new believers and we have seasoned believers, but the common denominators, they're very serious about their faith. We've got people listening in from El Salvador online and South, uh, South Africa. So it's you can catch it online if you go to myfaithradio.com. But we I've talked to Max Lucado, Chuck Swindoll, and Graham Lotz. Jeremy I know. I just I'm yeah. I marvel. I mean, what an what a blessing to have the opportunity to talk to such amazing people of faith. I have to say, on a side note, as a person who's learning to interview, what is your do you do a lot of prep for each interview? Do you read the books and or do people do you have a team helping you? Well, that's a great question. I have, a, I have an assistant producer who will do the initial screening before she books, and she'll send me a template with the open and the close. So the close, it'll show who's my guest tomorrow in case I want to set up tomorrow's show. And she'll take a few of the media questions that the author sends or pick out a couple of herself. But then I'm I'm reading close to 10 books a week because oh, I'm wow. interviewing 10 authors a week. And being an author speaker on the side, my day job is so mentally taxing that yeah. to go home and write, it, that I'm constantly deeply dependent on God because that requires so much of me, but I'm committed to doing my own prep because I want to mm-hmm. own the content enough that if they take a different turn, I can go there with them. Right. And that I'm, I, I hear other uh, hosts. I hear this often that they have people who do all their prep for them, but mm-hmm. I physically, emotionally, mentally can't 
bear the thought of that because I, I have to have the integrity of the content. You know what I mean? Yeah, I feel the same way. I've so far crossed my fingers, read every single book of anyone I've interviewed. But wow. And I only do one a week. I can't imagine, Susie. It's just incredible that you've um, committed to that standard. And I think it really shows when you're having a conversation with your guest on the shows that I've listened to, because there is a, a depth of engagement that you can do with someone when you really have read their content. Indeed. You and know? that's what I constantly hear. Be- having been an author and been on radio interviews where I know that they've not even looked at the book, let alone yeah. open it, you know, you're, they're you like, can tell. They're yeah. eating a sandwich while they're talking. To right. <laughs> so I hear time and time again from guests who don't know probably that I'm an author and they will say, I can't believe you read the book. I can't believe it. But it, that it, to me, that's honoring the treasure that God has given them and mining the treasures he's put in them. And yes. I, I'm, you know, I don't get to read it cover to cover, but I read a good enough portion that I can yes. converse with them about it. So yes. thank you for that. And I am. Oh, really- I can tell. And in in closing, I just have one question in light of your tradition. I'd love to know maybe a reflection of one of your favorite guests that has really stuck with you and then a verse that you'd love to share with everyone. Wow. Okay. Well, a verse is the one that I'd mentioned, Psalm 169, and it says, and so I walk in the Lord's presence as I live here on earth. I feel like if we can really see our walk with the Lord as an as a get to and not an ought to and a should do, we'll start to experience the best of who God is because he's he's it's it the Bible is clear. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He is a God of justice and a God of righteousness. It it's true that us who trust Jesus for our eternity to walk in intimacy, to be a friend, to be a daughter, to be a son. And the Bible says he tells us things the world doesn't know. He confides in those who fear him. To me, there's nothing better and nothing greater than cultivating an intimate, profound, and personal walk with the Lord. And um, I'd say reflecting on guests, there's just been a... a, a So many. Yeah, so many. And I but there's been a number of them, Anne Graham Lotz and Jim Cimbala and a few others who felt a strong, strong uh, sobriety about praying for our nation. And that is really in my prayer times. That is where my heart is at. And I'm not a person who's at all going to get into any kind of rant on social media. That, <laughs> that grieves my heart, too, to see Christians arguing yes. over things. I, You know, I but I'm praying deeply uh, for a great awakening in this good country. Hmm. Well, I will join you in that. And Susie, what a delight to talk to you today. Thank you so much for saying yes to join us here. I've been honored and just blessed by your words today. Hmm. Well, you are a dear sister, Jackie, and it's very nice to meet you. Well, thank you. Have a wonderful day. And you. God okay. Bless you. Bye-bye. Well, that's all for this episode of the Mud Stories podcast. I hope your heart was encouraged by what Susie had to share. I know mine was, and I thoroughly enjoyed talking with her. And if you would like to find the show notes, you can go to JackieWatkins.com forward slash episode 49, and all the links will be there, including links to Susie's online Bible study that started this past Monday. And I know she's sending out emails of encouragement and video messages, and I think it would really encourage you if you would like to 
to receive that. It's totally free. You can find that link on the show notes page. And also Susie just, she writes incredible blessings on her Facebook page every morning and evening just to encourage our hearts too. And so if you'd like to take advantage of that, all of those links will be on the show notes page. And if you want to remember some of the concepts that Susie shared, don't forget I created a podcast notes page just for you. It's a one page PDF that can be emailed to you for free. And to receive that, all you have to do is get your cell phone out and then you're going to text to the number 33444, the words episode 49, and you will get a text response. And all you do is reply back with only your email address and the podcast notes will be emailed to you for absolutely free. And I hope that's an encouragement to you and let me know what you think. I'm super excited. Yay, that I can send that to you. And I hope to create that for each episode from here on out. Speaking of which, next week, I'm going to have an amazing guest, one of my all time favorite interviews with the founder of the organization Hookers for Jesus. Her name is Annie Lobert. You guys, I'm telling you, you do not want to miss this episode. Annie is amazing. And the work that she's doing with Destiny House is incredible. And in fact, MSNBC just aired a documentary series featuring the Destiny House and how Annie is helping save people from sex trafficking out of the sex industry in Las Vegas. You can find that on MSNBC. It's going to air on Sunday. Sunday night. You can uh, DVR it and check that out. Um, her episode, I believe, aired last Sunday night and it was called Las Vegas. And then uh, the next one's going to air June 28th after next week's podcast. But I just wanted to give you a heads up on that because Annie is amazing and I just can't wait for you to hear what she has to share. As usual, you can get a free audiobook today by going to mudstoriesbook.com. I love listening to books. It's something I can do when I'm in the car or I'm cooking dinner or I'm doing laundry or cleaning or whatever it is I'm doing. I just love hearing a book read to me. And if you would like to receive a free audiobook today, all you have to do is go to mudstoriesbook.com and sign up for a free 30-day trial, which you can cancel at any time at no cost to you. And it goes to help support this podcast. And they've been an incredible sponsor. I'm so thankful for them. And so take advantage of that, mudstoriesbook.com. And also there is a free app for you. It's an easy way to listen to this podcast. All you do is go to your app store, wherever you get your apps and search for Mud Stories. And you can download it whether you have an Apple device or an Android device. And I hope it blesses you greatly. And so today, no matter what you're facing, no matter where you've been, no matter what lies ahead, may you find a grateful song to sing. Have an amazing day. I never in feels a press upon my mind I pull a shame that leaves me a little bit blind I cannot see beyond the blame And I never will find a way out And then I feel you next to me You lift my head to see Your strong arm reaches to me Your mercy floods my tired soul as you lift me out of my muddy hole. You wash me up with your sweet grace and you lead me to a safer place again. I never in you, mother, feels a press upon my 